This podcast is produced by the Roseworthy Veterinary Alumni Network. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily represent the position of the University of Adelaide. Hello and welcome to the University of Adelaide's Roseworthy Veterinary Alumni Network podcast. My name is Dr Emma Maley and in this episode of the RVA Presents, I'm joined by Dr John Barsht, who will be joining me to discuss how he started his veterinary business. Before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Zee Peak, who we'll hear a short message from now. Inspired to create a complete and balanced alternative to raw feeding, Zee Peak Air Dried provides peak nutrition without the compromise. Made for carnivores, Ziwi's peak prey recipes feature high inclusions of meat, organs, seafood and bone in authentic ratios. Extremely nutrient-dense, three portions of raw meat and organs make one portion of air-dried food. There is no need to refrigerate, thaw or rehydrate. When feeding Ziwi Peak, a little goes a long way. This means pet guardians can expect to feed less than standard dry foods or raw diets. Ziwi leads the way in free-range ethical sourcing. We only partner with farmers who believe wholeheartedly in their role as kaitiaki, or guardians of the land, sea and its creatures. Today's pet guardians want only the best for their pets. Their pets' safety, health and happiness is everything. That's what drives Ziwi's passion for peak nutrition without compromise. Alrighty, John, thank you for joining me. Why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, g'day. Uh, my name's John. I was a graduate in the first year of the veterinary school, so graduated back in 2013. Since graduating, I've worked in mixed animal practice and then pig consultancy, and now I own a pig and other livestock animal consultancy business. Awesome. So why did you decide to start your business? Uh, I was always interested in having my own business and that probably stemmed from my parents who own their own retail business. So it was something which I was interested in from the day which I started vet school. I probably was thinking more along the lines of a James Herrick type vet practice as probably every single vet student was. But unfortunately, we don't live in the Yorkshire Dales and the lifestyle of a mixed animal vet is maybe not quite to my liking. <laughs> That's fair enough. I, I think you're right. We probably all had this definite picture from all of those, you know, TV shows that we see. Um, you can certainly build a picture from that. So did you feel prepared, I suppose, to go into a business after university, given that, you know, you had your parents' experience and that sort of thing? I think when I finished uni in my head, I knew what it would take. But the actual practicalities of whether you're on call all the time or whether you are basically the stop back person wasn't anything which was I was prepared for. I was definitely a glass is always a grass is always greener type guy. So in terms of that, I think that I idolized or had this perfect picture of what business would be like and I feel like I could have done that. But actual resilience factor of being a new grad coming out and knowing how to deal with all the problems, not a hope in heck did I have that I would be able to run a business. But I took five or six years after finishing uni got some real world experience and and that just cemented the views that if I was going to do it, I I should do it young. And one thing which my dad said to me was it's much better to build something with someone. So I got my life side sorted and then I got the business side sorted. And then he also, his other great piece of advice was make a risky step when you've got less to lose. So don't wait till you're 40 or 50 and you've got a house to lose. 
be prepared to lose early if you're going to lose. So there are a few bits of advice which are really good. So no, in answer to your question, I wasn't prepared when I finished uni, but I was prepared to do the steps which I knew I needed to take to get there before I was too long in the tooth. Fair enough, I think. And and for you, I guess you talked about knowing how much you've got to lose and all of that sort of stuff. So how did you go about deciding how much you would invest into this sort of project? So it was quite an interesting time when I started. And to put it back into concept is my first day of consulting, I think was the 19th of May, 2019. So at that point in time, I kind of, I'd done all my budgets and I knew where things were going. Fast forward to February 2020 and COVID hit and uh, all of a sudden you could not buy supplies for love nor money um, and everything else. So my initial budgets were X and, and then by the time that all came around, it basically became two or three X to get things in. So that was probably a, a learning curve for me. But in also saying that is I feel quite confident having survived that time that I probably had a relatively robust model that would continue going forward. So in terms of what did I invest is, I again took some advice from my parents who said, basically make sure you've always got three months worth of mortgage payments in front and then be prepared to go to that point because if you go much closer than that, you can get yourself seriously stressed. So that's kind of where I always put myself is to say, I could reinvest as much to get to that point But after that, if it wasn't going to be profitable, I had to go work on the side to bring money back in, which was the reality of starting a business and uh, COVID hitting. But we got through it and it's all good. I feel like that's probably a lot of people who tried to start a business at that time all feel the same is that, you know, there's these business models and you can make these plans. But I guess one of the things to draw from that is that you can't actually predict everything and and there's got to be some things that you've just got to work against. So obviously for you, what was sort of the hardest part in getting your business sort of started and off the ground? The pig or the large animal consulting business is quite different to the normal veterinary consulting business. The key thing for us was getting pharmaceutical accounts. Um, So some of those required two or three years worth of trading histories, which obviously you don't have at startup. So what we had to do was be able to prove that we could finance that initially. So that basically meant that we had to put a whole lot of cash out, get everything stable, get the account starting. And then once you got a few started, then everybody else started to come on board so that was probably the biggest challenge the other challenging point which we had was around that time of COVID is supplies for everything were getting really tight so even little things which sound stupid now but like ultrasound gel was getting very difficult to get so animals need ultrasounding so we can know whether they're pregnant or anything else and within our business is that what you need to do with industries we work in is almost be a one-stop shop so you don't want them necessarily coming to you for only your S4s because that was not our business model. Our business model was for consulting and for other bits and pieces. So we needed to be able to supply a full range of services, which were difficult at that time. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it's hard enough for any business, let alone, I guess, having to manage all of those aspects you talked about, not just being there for one thing, you have to provide all of it. So being the sole veterinarian in that point, how did you sort of manage that work and life and management side of things? So a few things which are great in terms of the industries which we work in is you don't have people there after dark, right? So people are generally there from 6am to about 4pm. So For me, one of the best things about it and one of the things from working in in the industries previously is 
knowing that when it gets to about four o'clock in, in the afternoon, you generally see a real waning of the demand for you. So for me, that was great. And, and having worked in mixed practice and other areas and, you know, on-call vets is, I knew that that wasn't necessarily the case. So that was really good. And then believe it or not, COVID in a way was actually really good because we were planning to get some time off and other bits and pieces. But when you're starting a business, you, you appreciate that you can't necessarily press pause and go away and come back. Whereas with it was COVID, there was nowhere to go. So that was a really, in a really weird way. There were lots of headaches which are made, but it also solved a few of those startup problems. So we did that. And then we also basically decided, or we, uh, I decided to say that money wasn't being an all, end all for being in business. It was part of the reasons why you do take the risk is obviously to make a little bit more money, but also to try and gain that lifestyle side of things. So we've tried to build in a bit more of that as we go. When things start to even up and we can do a bit more travel, that's going to be an interesting time to see how I can rip myself away from the business. So that'll be a, a good challenge, but with every challenge is a reward and that's getting away. So Yeah, no, for sure. And I think everyone's sort of looking forward to that side of things when we can start testing the boundaries a bit more with what we can do with our free time. Talking about sort of looking back and perspective is obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. Do you think that you would have changed the way you went about anything in particular? Obviously knowing COVID, but was there anything in particular with your business that you would have changed? Yeah, so there's a few things which I would change. I would recommend to anybody starting a business that you appreciate the businesses which you may work in have decided on profit margins or whatever it is on gross margins because that's what's actually required to be sustainable when you're employing more than just yourself. So if I put myself in my perspective as a startup, we ran out of our shed, we had you know a fridge running and then it was two and then it was three and then we needed to buy forklifts and other bits and pieces and delivery vehicles and stuff like that. And my initial business model was not based on that level of other expenses. Similarly, if you're a small animal vet or you're a mixed animal vet and you go, well, we can just start off really, really cheap. That's good. But at some point you've actually got to say that you need to have enough fat in the system to be able to employ a second, third vet, vet techs, nurses, business managers and bits and pieces. So that would be something which I would encourage for everybody is consider when you start a business is look at the things you do well, not the things you do cheaply. And we went to a production course a little while ago and the advice which I got from that was focus not on the things which have a terminal value of zero. So cost savings has a terminal value of zero, but look at things which have got infinite possibilities. So focus on those areas where you can grow, not necessarily the areas where you can cut costs. And that was a really great piece of advice. <laughs> One thing which I just never expected in my own mind was our business was based on consulting and, and not any microbial use. So I went to myself, well, I don't really want to sell any microbials, but I need to for a service. I'll make them really cheap. And making them cheap in a supply and demand word just drew up demand. So that was a really, really interesting thing for me to say is that even though I'd built my whole business and structure around going in a direction. My business structure and design actually meant that everybody was pushed in the complete opposite direction to where I wanted to go. So that was a an interesting realization about six months in where I went, what the heck's going on here? This was not the direction we were going in. And I spent the last two and a half years working much harder to get people in a direction, which, you know, a simple, this way is really expensive the way I don't want you to go. This way is cheaper the way I do want you to go. 
everybody will go that way. So that was an education point for me. But for young people coming into the game or for new business owners, the single biggest advice, which I would say is make sure when you build your structure, look for things, your areas of growth, not necessarily for cost cutting, because once you set a spay price or you set a desexing cost or you set an hourly rate, it's very difficult to actually make incremental increases on it. You can make little tiny ones. But you go, geez, I want to put another vet on. Everything's got to go up 15%. You're going to get a lot of pushback from your clients. So make sure you build enough in in the beginning to know where you want your business to be in five and 10 years' time. Now, you mentioned working with other people. So you went from being the sort of sole veterinarian, sole consultant to having someone else working with you. How did you go about choosing that person and deciding they were right for the role? And then what sort of impact did that have on the way you worked and worked together? So believe it or not, there's not necessarily a huge pool of people to rip out of if you want to be in pig and and production consulting. So in a way that actually kind of made it a bit easier. Like we weren't having to interview hundreds and hundreds of people. The guy who I ended up putting on was somebody who I'd heard of previously and had had some good industry experience, had been away for a little bit and then was keen to come back. And fundamentally, the attributes which I look for somebody is areas which I consider to be my weakness. I would look at myself to say that I like big picture stuff. I like to see where we're going. I, you know, I'm very eager to to learn and to study and to do those bits, but nitty gritty details on product reviews and other bits and pieces and and tech side of things is uh, I like the final product and I like to put the information in there to get to that final product. But my strength is not necessarily the day-to-day data entry and other bits and pieces. So when I was looking for somebody, I quite honestly made a list of what I was after and what they ticked off. But yeah, as I said, the top of our list is somebody's happy to work with pigs and, and that really nailed it down anyway. So Yeah, that is certainly narrowing down sort of the pool of, of applicants, I'm sure. But hey, at least you know it's someone who's really keen to do the work. Now, when you have your business and you've had it now for a few, couple of years, you talked about not just increasing your prices and then hoping for the best. How do you know when you should raise your prices and then how do you decide on how much? So effectively... The model which I've gone for, and and I don't know whether it is the right one, but at the moment it's going well, is we had our standard consulting rates, which we put out there. And initially my accountant told me, nobody aspires to buy the cheapest car in the car lot, right? So when you look at your prices is you don't necessarily want to be the Ferrari, but you don't want to be the cheapest, right? So what we did in there is we kind of went, well, we would like our business to be seen somewhere in the vicinity of like a upper end Holden or Mercedes type level. So when we looked at those bits, that's kind of where we tried to work out is to say people value good quality and people value good service. So they were our two things which we put down with the essentials for the business going forward. So once we kind of worked that out, that was good. And we worked out our consulting, how many hours we needed to consult in the week, etc. When it came to rising prices is very simple for me is once I was comfortable with the model and it worked every year, the pharmaceutical companies put up their margins by X percentage. And I just went, well, if their product's going to cost me three or 4% more, I'm worth three or 4% more because that's where they see the inflation curve going. So that was where we built those things in. I took the lead from the other guys and and I figured that they are multi-billion, if not 10 billion, if not $100 billion companies. And that's where they went for their price rise. Me as a little tiny business is probably a good person to follow. That makes sense. There's always obviously yearly increases. And if you're just keeping up with the status quo, it can't really be too much. So I think that's reasonable. Now, 
you've built up your business and you've got your clientele. You obviously work in a fairly niche market, so it's probably you know exactly what clients you're looking for. But how do you go about obtaining new clients and then further building that profile that you've built within your industry? So whilst our core business is pigs, we also do the last couple of years, we do some free range turkeys. We do some sheep consultancy, both broadacre and feedlot and cattle consultancy. So what we had a look at, and I keep saying we because I like to think of the company as us as a team, is the areas which we could value at. So within our businesses, if you work with pigs or you work with something, is you've got to have down days in between. So for me, the area which to focus on initially was to get the core pig clientele and then we basically backfilled all the down days in between so that meant so say if we were traveling to the riverland and there was we saw two piggeries we had to have a day off in between was there something we could see in that middle day to basically make it much better so that was the focus which i went on was to say once we had our core clientele in x different areas is where could we value add our down or non-productive days because none of us want to be away from home more than we need to be but if we're away from home we might as well do three jobs as opposed to two jobs so then we don't need to go back as often the area which we've worked on to attract clients has been on tech so for the last 18 months we've had a programmer working with us for three days a week and the other vet has been spending two and a half days a week working on some tech projects which we've got going and all of those are based around giving our clients better opportunity to see what's going on on their farms when they're not there you know if we treat with something whether it actually works better than product a and b versus product c and also for us it also enables us to get a better idea so i can pull up on our laptops all the different farms and work out who needs to see us most and that's really been driven by COVID is we just couldn't physically get to farm. So we had to change our model to try and get the same information we needed to in a way that we didn't necessarily have to, to travel or put ourselves into positions where I drove three consecutive weeks from here to New South Wales just so we could see clients and not get on planes and other bits and pieces. And their big time commitments, big safety commitments just for the travel time if you're not a long road trucker that's a very long way to drive and and very boring sounds like you've really built up the products that you want and enabled yourself to really put yourself in the position to work the way you want to which i guess is the ideal so for you what do you think are some of top tips for someone looking to start their own veterinary business so a few things which i would really encourage someone before they decided to go into it is to actually work out why and if your only reason why is because you want to make more money don't be a vet practice owner it's it's absolutely fantastic. I love it. For me, it is a great thing. But if your driver is just money, you're just going to find yourself always chasing the next bit, right? So that to me would be something which I would really encourage people not to do. The other thing to have a look at is the advice which my dad gave me was find someone, something that you absolutely love and then you can start to build around. So for me, I was incredibly lucky. I've got a beautiful wife and a little daughter and, and a great dog. So once I kind of had those fundamentals done, business just kind of took a second seat, even though it's a lot of work so get those kind of fundamentals down pat look at your goals and continue to reevaluate them whether you're looking at a one year five year ten year goal you know that's completely fine and i've seen business models out there which have gone my goal is to be purchasable in five years time if you can be purchasable in five years time by a corporate or something like that it's actually saying that you're doing a pretty decent job because if they're looking at you and calling you it's something there so for me what i would encourage people to do is to have a look at the practices which have been bought up by corporates if they're in your field and are 
ask the owners if you know them or mentors within those businesses is what made them come looking for you because they're obviously the fundamentals which mean that these businesses see value in your business and if they see value there's probably value in it for you too Uh, i said the first thing money isn't everything but family equally is so use your degree to get the life which you want and that's something which being a practice owner can really give you which would be cool and yeah finally it's it is a great privilege and it's so much fun owning your own business if you're in that mindset. But your startup months where, honestly, I remember there was sub $200 difference between outgoings and ingoings and I wasn't taking a salary and I didn't take a salary for the first year. So you've got to be prepared to kind of ride those waves to get there in the long run. But for me, it was just great. But just know your plans know what happens if the next COVID or something hits or you buy yourself a secondhand x-ray machine and it breaks in five minutes and you've got to buy a new one and that's not in your cash flow budgets. Just kind of work in those situations and the worst case scenario. And I hope whoever has the uh, endeavor to do it will have a great success. That's awesome. Thank you so much. And look, thank you so much for joining us and taking the time to share your experience and expertise. I'm sure everyone has really valued listening to it. I'd also like to thank our sponsors, Zwe Peak, for making this episode possible. Thank you to our listeners. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. And if you're not already, be sure to follow the University of Adelaide Roseworthy Veterinary Alumni Network on our social medias at Roseworthy Vet Alumni on Instagram and Roseworthy Vet Alumni on Facebook, as well as showing us some love on which ever streaming platform you're listening on today. Thank you again, John. No worries. And we'll see everyone on the next episode.